Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cinema Obscura podcast, where we talk about and review movies that we consider to be hidden gems or are just plain not talked about enough. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Gutierrez, along with fellow co-host, podcast editor, James Fife. Hello, Orison. Here today, we have staff writer, Alyssa Branham. Hello. And deputy copy editor, Jonathan Rutz. Greetings. So in this show, we split into two groups, James and I in one group, Alyssa and Jonathan in the other. Each group came up with a list of three movies where the opposite group had to pick a movie and watch it. This episode's theme is cult classics, the kinds of movies your film buff friends would love to talk about in order to make themselves sound cooler and sophisticated. Excellent. Thank you. All right. So um, <coughs> what movies did you guys give us? We went with Moonrise Kingdom, starring Bill Murray and Kara Hayward. Dazed and Confused with Matthew McConaughey and Jason London. And then The Crow with Brandon Lee and Rochelle Davis. All right, and we gave you in return Barton Fink, starring John Turturro and John Goodman, The Life of Brian, with way too many people, but it has John Cleese in it, and The Room, starring Greg Sestero, and directed by, written by, produced by, and starring Tommy Wiseau. Okay, what movie did you guys think we picked? Um, I was really thinking you are going to grab The Crow, uh, if you hadn't watched it already. Uh, Alyssa? Uh, I doubled that. I think The Crow. All right, we think you picked, or I think you picked Barton Fink. What do you think? I also thought you got you guys picked Barton Fink because it just seemed like something that you guys would probably be interested in. Yep. Why Why would it be something that we'd be interested in though? I don't know. You uh, guys just I have seem no like idea. yeah, you guys seem like just hardcore Turo fans. Just something in my bones. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would be correct. <laughs> oh, we get yeah. it. We got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are incorrect though. Oh. We oh. chose. Moonrise Kingdom. Yay! That yeah. was the one that I didn't know if you guys would be interested in, like, a coming-of-age story. Oh, dude. Come on. <laughs> I didn't know if you guys were Wes Anderson fans or not. I had seen Grand Budapest Hotel, and I love that movie. So I was like, I hadn't seen Moonrise Kingdom, though. Hmm. So That movie is, I love, I love Grand Budapest Hotel. You do? I mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm not a movie buff, but I have seen that. Okay, nice. Well, this is not what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> You know what? Why don't you guys go first? Why don't you describe what did you think you were getting into before you watched the movie? Oh, I got words on this. It was... Like, you I only saw the poster, so... Oh, straight up from the poster? Yeah. I thought it was going to be one of those mellow, stylistic movies um, that was trying to... Like, its main objective was conveying a message rather than uh, any sort of action or, like, I would say extreme tension and my expectations were thoroughly subverted about halfway through the movie. Okay. How about you, Alyssa? What did you think? Um, Considering it was John uh, Totoro. 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 Mm -hmm. Sorry. I thought it was going to be more kind of eccentric of his character instead of so serious. I thought it was going to be more on the comedy side than the drama. Modern John Totoro. Yeah, because his main movies where he doesn't really play. This is the first time I've seen him play such a serious character. Mm -hmm. So that is not what I was expecting at all. This is John Totoro at his best. Yeah, (laughs) me and James actually talked about Yeah, me and James talked about that a bit because when I think of John Totoro, I think of Do the Right Thing. I think of... Uh, Transformers. Transformers. <laughs> I think about oh, brother, where art thou? Brother, where art thou? Yep. Where it's like, like you said, he's a very eccentric character in all those movies, and then to see him in this, it's a really like it really threw me for a loop. When it's I was like, like it's like seeing like Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. it was kind of like out of place for him. I feel like, but um, yeah, I just didn't expect it at all. All right. Well, anyway, before we get into the more meaty part of this movie, um, can you guys just ex- quickly explain the plot of uh, taking turns? I don't know. 
You want or me to? John's pointing at you. Please explain the plot for me because. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So it's basically like a 1940s uh, drama of this writer who goes to n- from New York to Los Angeles, and he's trying to come up with a plot of a s- movie he's working on totally out of his comfort zone. He comes across characters that are just, they add to the plot, and it's a lot of plot buildup. And uh, yet he just, he goes through these motions of meeting these weird people and trying to adjust to Los Angeles and being a writer for movies rather than playwright. It was it was really, really bizarre starting out with, because, yeah. I mean, it completely met my expectations at the beginning with him meeting all of these big Hollywood big wigs, talking really fast, constantly contradicting themselves and uh, saying something and then immediately saying the exact opposite over and over and over again. And people just kept interrupting each other. And then halfway through the movie, the, 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 the shift happened that I wasn't entirely expecting. Mm-hmm. I would like to call those characters uh, distractions for writing. That's, that's what the, I think they resemble. Because if you, you guys write, with the three of you at least, mm-hmm. you're, you're journalists. Yes. And you know what it is like writing. Like you're like you're sitting there like God, I, I hate writing. I hate writing. I hate writing. I hate literally writing. every time I write an article. Yeah, <laughs> and then you end up writing it like oh, okay, it wasn't that bad. This is basically that if, like writing a script. I've written a script before, like ninety pages. It sucks, man. <laughs> it's it's like you're 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 literally like you're slowly boiling in a pot type of that type of hell, you know. Um, and this is basically like there's one scene in that movie that stuck out for me, and it's when. Uh, John Turturro's get up character gets up. Barton Fink gets up. He puts on the shoes that are under the table, and they're like too big. And you can see the look on his face is like, "Oh God, it's another distraction." And then John Goodman walks in. That's literally like the every time I write, <laughs> like oh. some distraction comes out of the blue, and I'm like, "Well, thank God I don't have to write. I'm just gonna get, deal with this distraction." That's basically what this movie is for me. Like, Those distractions are always like family, friends, cats, or you know, work calling mm-hmm. for me. I get home, I sit down, I think I got an idea for a story or something in my brain. I get about thirty seconds into it, and then someone knocks on the door. Uh, something mm-hmm. falls off a shelf. I yep. remember. Oh, I forgot to put do the laundry. The <laughs> <laughs> no, I will ignore laundry <laughs> to get a story done. Full stop. Yeah. Um. And then, at least in terms of my expectations coming into the movie with that, with those characters, I just thought they were meant to show crazy rich people being extremely tone deaf to. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Turint- uh, I can't pronounce his name. Totoro. Totoro's Totoro's character, uh, but then Totoro started being tone deaf when he first was interacting with the insurance salesman. And I forget uh, his character's name, but Charles Charles uh, something. Meadows. Although he Charlie a, Meadows. He had a, spoiler alert. There was a he had a different name at the end. It was a Mad Mad Carl, Man Carl, Yeah, Mad Carl. Man Months. Yep. And so it was just that was when my expectations were starting to shift. I'm like, oh, I thought he would be some weird underdog fighting for the people type deal, but he's just as tone deaf as the rest of these extras. People are cruel. People are very cruel. Yeah. I think the distraction point is something I didn't really catch on to. Um, But it does lead into one of my favorite scenes where he's sitting down and writing his actual story and actually getting it out. But that's after he puts in the pieces of the cotton balls in his ear. Yeah. And was actually able to. Makes himself actually tone deaf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
was actually able to write for the first time in the movie. This might come up later, but uh, with the cotton balls in his own ears, mm-hmm. reflecting that uh, the mad insurance salesman's yeah, cotton. Yeah, because of his ear infection, yeah. At the end, when I was kind of going back to the whole thing in my brain, I thought, oh man, is he an unreliable narrator? And just completely <laughs> made up the entire character of that insurance guy, just so that he... It seems likely, though, huh? Because he just burnt down a hotel and just walked back to inside his room. He's like, kinda... if you need me, I'll be next door. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm sure you will be. And of course, with like that, the hallway scene when everything was slowly turning like fiery and brimstone, he's running down the hallway with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking at it and he's like quoting, uh, you know, the writer's character. And I'm mm-hmm. just thinking, this has got to be some weird trip that this this writer is on. Right. He's going he's going crazy. But he it dissociates was... a lot. Yeah, he does. He, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's never it's never established. It gives you one of those really vague endings. It's like, oh, well, it could be. And it mm-hmm. of him and just being in the right. sand. Like, was it all? Was it all? <laughs> was it all just a dream? dream? All right. Well, Alyssa, you already answered this question. Your favorite scene, which was. um Oh, my God. I already forgot. I'm sorry. It was one of my favorite scenes. It was the. um of him writing kind of montage sort of thing where he oh, finally yeah, yeah, got rid yeah. of the distractions. Puts the cotton balls in his ear. Yep, that's how that we led down the covers. What was your favorite scene, if you had one, John? Oh, man. I'd have to say when he stood up to his, like, writing idol and finally – and then mm. a lot of those subsequent scenes with, his sec- uh, with that idol's secretary where he was realizing, oh, you didn't write any of your own stuff. You're a total fraud and just a drunkard. Mm-hmm. So he's a phony. Exactly. Yeah, just screaming. He's a phony. Um, phony. It's like yeah. his world just came crashing down, and it just was the tip of the iceberg for the things that he had encountered in Los Los Angeles. Los Angeles. I hate. Who said that? It was everybody. All of them. Everybody. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, it was 1940, it. but like, God, man, Los well, Angeles. Well, the movie itself was. Well, I guess they really hit the nail on the head with tone deaf bunch of random people because yeah. in L.A. Uh, movie made in the 90s. It was 91, right? 90. Fast talkers yeah, 92, somewhere Things are there. just fast paced, and he keeps he comes in, and he's like, what do you have for me? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm still like kind of getting adjusted and started, and he's like, what do you mean? You should already be done by now. That juxtaposition with his like very slow, methodical, reserved character and all of those bombastic, crazy people in L.A. was, like, it was definitely planned, and it was very apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you recommend this movie to people? I think if you don't mind a very slow build of context, mm-hmm. then yes. With because I do yeah. like the cinematography of it. I yeah. will say that. Coen Brothers are always. Yeah, yeah, the cinematography of it is uh, great. The shots that they have of like the hallways and uh, the typewriter and everything, I really enjoyed that. But it takes an hour to build up to the actual uh point of the story so in a two-hour movie it takes half of the time to build up all the context and then the rest of the story it's actually all like oh this is what the movie is about Mm -hmm. so um we we know this feeling of writing and stuff like that like it sucks when you're doing it but when you're done you're like ah Mm -hmm. that's that was so bad um would you say that this movie is like cathartic for writers definitely not at least from my experience in <laughs> writing, um, right. if I didn't take Alyssa's question. Yeah. No, no, um, it was both of your questions. It Because with some of these, with, with these movies specifically, uh, my catharsis comes from the main character becoming enlightened to his blind spots or their blind spots. And he didn't really get those blind spots revealed to him until everything was crashing down around him. 
which is poetic in its own way, but I don't get a lot of catharsis from tragedy. Mm. Uh, I get more catharsis from resolution. Um, I think I sympathize with the people around him. Like, he has a job to do. That's what he's out there for, and he's taking forever <laughs> to just just start writing, just get it down on paper, even if it's like a really crappy, rough draft. Mm-hmm. Then they're just expecting something. It doesn't have to be, you know. This is interesting. The, it's even what's the greatest that? thing on earth. Yeah. I will say that fish out of water feeling that you get constantly whenever you see those interactions mm-hmm. between him and all the other writers and the you know producers and everything. I empathize with that more than I empathize with his writing. Got it. Yeah, his like socially awkward situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen. Well, because I thought it was sort of cathartic, and maybe it could have been cathartic in a sense in the fact that it's him kind of being surrounded by a bunch of people who expect a lot out of uh, Barn Fink. And I think when it comes to that particular aspect, I feel like it was sort of sympathetic in the way that he was, uh, he had a bunch of distractions going on. He had, like, you know, his boss came being kind of overbearing, being like, we want this product to be this exact way. Barn kind of wants to go in a a different direction. So I thought it was very. I thought that was sort of that, that sort of sympathetic feeling like, you know, I'm getting, I feel like these, all these external pressures around me kind of bearing down on my shoulders. And I feel like, I don't know whether I want to make my own product or if I want to listen to what my bosses and what the executive producers want me to write about. So I sort of thought like it was that little sort of like sympathetic feeling, cathartic feeling of like, uh, just being drowned in all these like external forces that expect you to do something but you want to do something else instead and he was kind of forced into everything yeah like he didn't even he wasn't really wanting to do it in the first place but right he's like i guess so i guess i'll go out to i Los definitely Angeles. empathize with that rhetoric um that his friend that he met at the bar that first gave him the idea to go to hollywood or his like agent mm-hmm. was it i guess um the like, like do it for the money mentality I've definitely had some jobs where I was just like, I'm going to do this, not because I love it, not because I have any interest in it at all, but just because it's what's paying my bills right now. It's because I'm broke. Yep. (laughs) I mean, his goals were set from the start of where he really just wanted to write about like the everyday man. And Mm -hmm. they're like, no, we want you to do a wrestling movie. He's like, huh? (laughs) <laughs> that is not what I came that's not what I thought I came out here for like I do stage plays and you want me to do wrestling movie I do agree with that I think I sympathize with the fact of there was just he was just kind of thrown into situations that he was not prepared for at all and that is never spoiler <laughs> alert never good uh, like waking up next to a dead body in his bed yeah oh that's a God. pretty big that shit that was a bit yeah. crazy yeah that would that would suck I, <laughs> that's where I was like okay the story's picking up <laughs> See, well, the you movie sound like encouraged about this I felt a little cheated because it was I don't think that I didn't feel like there was enough build up for that twist or that big moment that happened mm-hmm. mm. um, yeah I wish there was more context on that because they did so much context building for the first half like I mentioned that they should have added more leeway into why it happened, I guess. I thought yeah. a lot of the buildup was signaling that the insurance salesman was going to like cheapskate him or swindle him or his family when he gave when he gave like all of the Well, he did do something bad. Yeah, <laughs> he, he like, gave me murdered the three people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that was the one that you weren't expecting. You're he like, gave oh, me the creeps from the start. I was like, no, this dude is not good. I yeah. was like, he was barging his way into his door at every mm-hmm. little sound that he was hearing from his neighbor. Yeah. I was like, you you think that if this man murdered someone in the middle of the night, he wasn't going to come knocking? <laughs> like, come on, he's too nosy for that. Yeah. See, I was, I was a little Women's misled. intuition, question mark. Um, <laughs> because when they started to actually talk and converse, it was it was then Barton who was on the other end of that like tone deafness that you see from the other LA characters. 
he kept cutting this insurance salesman off who was trying to tell him stories from the perspective that he wanted to tell. Mm. And I thought that this might have been some sort of – I was searching too much for a message and not enough for a plot twist is what I was looking for. I see. I wonder if he gave him the time of day to actually explain the stories, he would have got the hint of like, oh, this is not a good this dude. This is not a good person. <laughs> I had that yeah. – Speaking of cutting off, yes, yes. <laughs> we have another movie to talk about. Yeah, Moonrise <laughs> Kingdom. The one me, and, uh, me and Steven watched Moonlight, Moonrise Kingdom. I got, I kept on getting that name wrong. Like, oh, I was like Moon Knight, Moonrise, Moon, Moonrise Kingdom, Moonlight. No, not not any of those movie movies. It's Moonrise Kingdom, directed by Wes Anderson. So, Stephen, why don't you go over the plot? Since you're better at doing that than I am. Moonrise Kingdom is a coming of age romantic. Which I, don't, I was gonna say comedy, but that's definitely it has comedic moments, but it's not primarily a comedy between a boy scout and a sort of i don't want to say disturbed because that's what they say in the movie but it's more like uh, a, a coming of age romance uh, romance between two eccentric characters and really want to and finding comfort in their little uh unique relationship that they have with each other and having to deal with like everyone around them trying to like you know sometimes initially there is a sort of like you know they kind of want to break them apart, but then eventually they like start convincing everyone around them. Like, you know, they, they go well together. They're a cute couple. They're a cute little couple. And I think, uh, by the end of the movie, it, it, it really has like a nice little bow on top for everything by the end. So like if Romeo and Juliet could convince their parents that everything was okay. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. <laughs> and also, if, you know, Romeo and Juliet's parents didn't hate each other in the first place. Right. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're children, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Right. They're children, by the way. <laughs> yeah. These, these, um, this is like, great film man it is and it was kind of weird because I, I i've heard about this movie and and so at some point what's the what's the phrase you use steven i don't remember <laughs> anyway um just like i'd like just by paying attention to film i'm like okay i i, I know this movie oh, exists it has like sort of like a, that motif yeah like that's I, I, just, I knew i knew it existed and i knew west anderson directed about it but at some point i forgot and then i watched it the other day and i went Okay, whatever. I'll, I'll, okay, I don't know anything about this film. I'll just put it on and see what happens. Within the first three seconds of the film, before anybody's name come up, I'm like, oh, this is a Wes Anderson pick. Like, <laughs> Wes Anderson has this influence. I, I use it as a verbiage. I'm like, when someone shoots straight on to something, I'm like, oh, why are you Wes Anderson this? You know, because he is that much of an influence in his cinematography. It is like, as I describe, a it's set up like a stage like a play playwright like a stage huh weird connection there <laughs> martin fink and um wes anderson it is cinema it's shot like a stage it's everything's one-sided they sit on one side of a table they have one half of the house and it's very unique and very beautiful i just love shots like that that are on um a motorized um dolly and are just shot across and it's it's great it's fantastic Go ahead, Stephen. I was just going to say, a thing that I really appreciate about this movie, and then what I've noticed, like, after, because as I mentioned before, I did watch Grand Budapest Hotel. Something about Wes Anderson movies is that every character does, like, kind of stick out. It feels like each character is sort of memorable for some unique characteristic or maybe a, a, a line, a dialogue or something. But it's feel, it feels like it's very hard to forget a character from a Wes Anderson movie once you watch it. Like, Sam Shikuski's, like, and both Susie as well. They're both, like, very, not just in, they're eccentric, but in the sense that, like, they're very well put together for their age and they play well off each other in the movie and like just based on acting as well and then also like even for the adult characters like uh, bruce willis's cop character who's like kind of sad and he's like kind of mopey and everything like that but he's also uh resolute in helping sam throughout the the movie along with the parents Susie's parents specifically uh played by bill murray and francis mcdormand they're like 
have their own set of problems and everything like that, and they're playing well off each other with their own specific issues. So just to loop it back, I feel like every character, for the most part, in Moonrise Kingdom uh, sticks out in a way that is hard for you to forget. With my limited experience with his movies, I completely agree. Right. He, he somehow makes background characters, even the most niche and in the background, have complex character that makes you want to learn more about them. You're like, mm-hmm. wait, wait, point the camera over there. What, what is he doing over there in the right, background? Right, right. This is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> of all time? <laughs> yes, I I love Wes Anderson movies. I think the way that he uh, produces them, mm-hmm. he just has a like a weird vision that he exploits these beautiful, flawed characters mm-hmm. in a way to... He just makes them really human, but also makes them like... They stand out, like you guys were saying, and I just appreciate the way that he produces his films and i think that the storylines are not something that we typically see in uh you know typical movies especially in today's uh area of films i think that uh, when's the last time you watched a movie of two kids falling in love on a weird island yeah (laughs) (laughs) where one's like one's like a boy scout and one's in plays and they just run away together not to get a sidetrack, but a lot of the movie pipeline recently has been dominated by superhero movies and flicks like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about no. that. That is a different podcast. <laughs> I love eccentric movie characters, and I think that this movie really highlights um, young love in a in a different way than we typically expect. Yep. I would describe this movie as simply charming. Mm. Very charming. Yeah. I wanted to use, th- I was trying to find a different word for delicate because you know how you, when you eat something like small and it's very tasty? Dainty. It's very da- dainty. That's a good one. Delicate. Man, that's you how know, when you're looking for extra words, you should come to your copy. Yeah, I really should, but I didn't <laughs> want to talk to you about a movie that oh, you're not, right. that you're not oh, supposed man. to know that I watched. Did you guys have a favorite scene? I think that scene where they're just on the little inlet, you know, as we found out later at the end of the movie when they're painting, like spoiler alerts, when he's doing that little portrait in their house. Uh, we see like the the name of the inlet, and it's called Moonrise Kingdom. And I thought it was like that entire area of like that little section of Moonrise Kingdom when they're just by themselves having a good time dancing. And then uh, he Sam pierces Susie's ear with the little fish hook with the bug on it. I thought it was just that whole little scene of them being together was really cute. And in the way I wanted to describe this movie when I was watching it the entire time, like if I had to distill it into a single word. It was like just lovely. I was completely just happy. I was enveloped by like the really warm feeling of this movie throughout the entire run of it. And I thought it was like just that scene specifically of them in Moonrise Kingdom was just really, really sweet. Oh, I know what it is. So it's when um, Sam? Sam, the orphan? Yeah, the Sam. He He's like in the big bigger camp on off the island and he's getting chased oh. all the way around <laughs> the field. I honestly thought he was going to turn back and run around. And uh, God, it's it's such it's so goofy, but it's 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 really awesome. It's like childlike wonder. Yeah, on the ca- on the note of um, coming to age films, what are you guys' like favorite coming of age films? Dang it, you already said Moonlight Kingdom, didn't you? Moonrise. So, Moonrise. Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> You'll get it. That's so hard because I've never been able to really empathize with coming of age stories that well. Because mm-hmm. um, you never came to age. Yeah, I popped out like this. Just Uh, this boring square of a man. uh, Exactly (laughs) how I am. No, it's... um, I I feel like the the things that make these movies great, like all the cinematography and the the wonderful, like, childlike wonder that, you know, you guys described here, 
I can't empathize with. A lot of my first experiences of these nature were so incredibly awkward and the gotcha. most sideways, everything went wrong type thing. So whenever I watch these movies, it's it's very, I can't get immersed into it. I feel like I'm looking through a window. Got I think it. that's interesting because that I'm the opposite. Yeah. See, my favorite coming of age movie, If you, I mean, I'll call it one, it's The Goonies. Okay, the Goonies is movie. just fun. Yeah, I can I can get down that's with fun. A, that's that's exactly how me and my friends kind of did stuff. Like we go on our bikes and we go on stupid adventures. Like that's it. But I mean, Goonies is like way more than that. It's like a weird treasure hunt and like um, Temple of the what's the Nickelodeon show? Like an action one? adventure film. Yeah, it's it's that's one of my favorite. Uh, I empathize too much with having to like. Uh, to and get into the house through the picket fence, having to like do something extremely were you, were you stupid. <laughs> I was Chubb. Okay. I uh... or what was his name in the movie? It wasn't Chubb, was it? Chunk. Chunk. I was close. <laughs> mm -hmm. Chunk. No, middle school. Yeah. Uh, I think I said this in the newsroom at one point. My my uh, my first name was used as a catch-all adjective for when things sucked. John. <laughs> what? Oh my god. Oh, that's so John oh. of you. That was that was what's where I was weird in middle because school. Because John is already a catch-all name for toilets. <laughs> Dude, oh my gosh, I kept that Jonathan. I kept that little secret about the toilet thing so close to my chest because I knew yeah. that if those middle school kids found out, I would be eviscerated my eighth grade. Oh, you know, no. you know the nickname of the baseball field, baseball field here at Sac State is right. No, it's the John. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my family had their reasons, but they picked the boring, very okay. four-letter yeah, word. That's a common name. All right. Yeah. Mine my family chose James, or my mom and dad chose James. All right. Although I was named after my grandpa. That's a whole different story. Whole different story. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Going Moonrise back to Kingdom. coming of age. <laughs> yeah, coming of age films. What was um, Stephen? The Goonies. Yeah, The Goonies were, at one point, my favorite movie when I was growing up as a kid, especially Chunk, just because I thought he was just an hilarious character. Like, you know, I, as a, I sympathize as too, because I was also pretty chubby as a kid. And then as I grew up over the years... Or I, I, as of recently, actually, I watched it like I think like a year or two ago. I put on the Goonies just because it kills some time, and I just could not enjoy this movie the way I used to when I was a kid. I think it's not even like you know anything bad or anything like that. It's just like something about it just doesn't have that same magic that I used to have when I was a kid watching it from like on Cartoon Network. I think is where they used to air it on, and like uh, just like all the same story beats that you know, you just kind of know a little too well. I don't know. It's hard to explain specifically why. It just doesn't sc uh, scratch that same itch it used to when I was a kid. So it's that same issue that some people have when uh, people are talking about uh, like Pokemon or Ooh, yeah, yeah, other yeah. like it's childhood wonders, factor. nostalgia, and right. adults are commentating on a kid's movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I straight up went to that Buzz Lightyear movie. I don't care. I went there with a friend and I watched through that whole thing. <laughs> and yep, it's a kid's movie. <laughs> yeah, um, my roommate was watching that few weeks ago and i'm like i'm not gonna watch this movie <laughs> <laughs> i sort of watched it on disney plus uh, did you no but uh you said coming of age movies yeah Some well you said yours is moonrise kingdom but do you have like another i guess um i wouldn't say moonrise kingdom is my favorite but it is one of coming of age is the, like the genre that i gravitate to a lot of time besides mm -hmm. like comedy or action and it's like perks of being a wallflower juno oh. Super bad, I consider coming of age. Oh That's yeah, super bad, one. absolutely. Um, yeah. I gave uh, Dazed and Confused as our other movie, mm -hmm. which I definitely would consider. It's you know those just like a, uh, the teenage adventures of people, of them just trying to figure out themselves, and I think it's something that people relate to a lot of the time because they have a hard time figuring it out, and I think I've tried to figure myself out through movies, so mm -hmm. I think that that's a genre I definitely gravitate towards. 
Wow. I did that through books. I didn't watch a lot of movies as a kid. So I'm thinking coming age stories. I think, oh, Lord Steven, of the Flies. Steven, if you could play the audio clip from The Simpsons. Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> Nerd. Why do you think I had so many stories about bullying in middle school? Ah, oh, man. Nerd. <laughs> This has been an episode of Cinema Obscura. Thank you, James. Goodbye. Thank you, Alyssa. Bye. Thank you, Jonathan. Anytime. And I'm Steven. See you next time.